It's been, it's been awesome. I love it. It's beautiful. So, that's what that's all about. George struggled with that word, propitiation. And I am not going to speak about propitiation. But I am going to talk about why that word came up and why it's on my mind and stuff about it. Um, You need a little background about me because I've been so long and I don't know a lot of you. I'm really thankful that you are here. In 45 minutes, I'll be thankful that I was here. Um, Just a bit of a struggle, but that's okay. I moved to Belgrade in 2012. In 2013, I was asked to help start Celebrate Recovery Program in the Gallatin County Jail. I had no idea what I signed up for. Had no idea what to expect and have been blown away in amazement more times than I could possibly count. Um, The last time I stood here, I shared a lesson titled Lessons Learned in the Jail. And this is part next. Not sure what part number to give it, but it's next. Oh, I got to talk about this thing too. Some of you remember, most of you probably don't. One of the times that I was scheduled to speak up here on a Sunday morning was sitting over there in the Bible class before, was sitting beside Nevaeh Woodall, and she was doing this um, crocheting, I think it is, these things with her fingers. And I admired it. I said, "That's, that's really awesome, that's really nice. She handed it to me. And since I was here to speak, and I didn't have a tie on, because you will almost never see me in a tie, I put it around my neck, and I've been wearing it every time I've got up here since then. So even though it looks not so good with my shirt, that's what it's about, and that's why I'm wearing it, and I don't know that I can speak without it. Um, Haven't seen the Woodle children in years, but I still remember Nevea with great fondness and pray that they're doing well. So, the jail story. Uh, in 2014, I went to a chaplain training program, which was an amazing highlight of my life. A week-long program in Tacoma, Washington. I came home with a lot of information and some good experience and some good encouragement and a certificate that says I'm a chaplain and I had no idea the value of that certificate until I was told to give a copy of it to the program director at the jail and in return she gave me a badge that says I'm a chaplain in the Gallatin County Detention Center and that badge opens doors. It's, it's been an amazing blessing. And God has used that door-opening capacity more times than I could count to sit and visit with men who are in the worst possible place of their life. 
You remember a few of them that made the headlines for days. January 1st, I don't remember what year, 15, 16, probably 16, maybe 17, I don't know. This man killed his wife by beating her over the head with a frying pan. I spent a lot of hours with that man. Once he sobered up and cleaned up from the drugs he was under the influence of, he's a a really likable, nice man who loves the Lord and knows a lot about him. He's serving a 40-year sentence in the Shelby prison, and he's leading Bible studies. He's encouraging other men to get to know the Lord, and he's accepting where he is, that God is using him where he is. It's amazing. I have lots of stories like that. I could spend till 6 p.m. telling stories. I won't do that today. But with the badge and the credential and the invitation to lead Celebrate Recovery, as well as a lot of individual one-on-one visits and studies, I have been blessed outrageously. This many years later, that was in 2013, however many years ago that was, eight years ago. I don't know how many of these Bibles we've given away to men and women in the jail. And the Celebrate Recovery Step Study Guide that goes with it. And whether you know it or not, you are contributing to that. Because the elders have decided it's a good place to spend some money. And so I order books and Bibles to be delivered to the jail and I hand the bill to Fred and he gives me a check. And so thank you for your participation in that ministry that is, by the way, one of many volunteer programs in the jail, but it is the single most attended program of all the Bible studies, church groups, and recovery groups have the highest attendance of any of them. And thank you, God. Thank you, church, because that's that's what's happening. Since retirement in December, and after I got over COVID, um, I'm spending lots more time in the jail now. And that includes once a week or sometimes more going in in the morning and sharing devotional studies with anybody who wants to participate. And participation in that is also really good. In the course of all of that, I've heard lots of men tell me their life stories. And they are horrific, scary, intense, unbelievably outrageous stories. And over and over and over, after I listen for a while and I thank the man for trusting me with his story, I say, okay, why aren't you dead? That is a discussion starter question of all questions. Why aren't you dead? Because you should be dead. After all the stuff you told me about that you somehow survived, it wasn't because you were clever or lucky. Why was it? There's only ever one answer that makes any sense, and that is 
God had a better plan. God has a reason for you to be alive. He has a purpose for your life moving forward. And so I ask, and they usually agree, yeah, that's, that's good. I ask him, okay, what is that plan? The only answer to that that makes any sense is, I don't know. Because they don't. They don't know yet. They have not been open until that moment to even considering what God was up to. And, and that mirrors my life. I spent 40 years pretending, perfecting the art of looking good, so that you all thought I was good when I wasn't. I was pretending. And I was living in the darkness of an ugly sin addiction until God got my attention in 2008 and life has been different since then. And until I started the jail ministry work, I did not really believe that Romans 8.28 was true for me. That verse says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I didn't think that was true for me because I couldn't see it. Today, it's so obvious, so amazing that that is my answer to why I'm not dead. Because I did a lot of stuff that could have, should have, might have ended my life. And so... That we're getting closer to pro, pro, propitiation here in a minute. <clears throat> the morning devotionals, I used this magazine as a study guide. Put, should have put a picture of it up there, but I didn't. In touch. The daily devotional published by Charles Stanley. We get a hundred copies of them free of charge in the jail every month. And they disappear quickly. And the guys love them. And so, I use this for the study guide when I'm with those guys. On July 7th, the study was titled, God's Perfect Love, and instructed us to read the reading that George just read for us, 1 John 4, 7 through 12. And that morning ended up being an amazing study time with, I, I was able to do the study with four different groups of men, so it was probably close to 20 men out of a population of 110. So that's a good percentage participating in morning Bible study. The thing was, we have this huge variety of Bibles available in the jail, all donated by individuals or churches or groups. And so at the table with six or eight men, there might be three or four different versions of the Bible laying there that they're using. And we got to the last verse of that reading and it says, Christ became the propitiation. And they stumbled over pronouncing it in the first place and certainly didn't know what it meant. And so that opened the door for that discussion. I was super grateful that that morning I had taken a quick look at the study and the verses before I left home and had a few minutes to look up propitiation in Wikipedia 
and figure out what in the world that word means and, and why it's in there. So what you see on that slide is the four places in the whole Bible where you will find that word. And you will only find it in older English versions like the King James or the New King James or ESV or New American Standard are four that I looked at that have that word. George, what version were you reading? ASV? Okay, American Standard. So it's only in those older English um, versions of the Bible. The newer versions like NIV and New Living Translation translate it... Jesus, the atoning sacrifice, or Jesus, the perfect sacrifice to take away our sins forever. That was helpful. That, that was easier for them to, uh, to understand. And yet I could still see puzzled looks on their faces. They don't understand what this passage is saying. So look again at 1 John chapter 4. I want to point out some things that I noticed with questions that were asked and comments. Then I went back through and read the whole chapter again and underlined every place I found the word love. In 1 John chapter 4, the word love or loved appears 27 times. That's a lot for one chapter. And it appears 13 times in those few verses. And that's what the puzzled looks were about. It wasn't about propitiation or sacrifice. It was about love. And the question that was voiced was, I hear the words, love your neighbor. I hear the words, love your your enemies. I don't know how to do that. I don't know what that means. And so that's where our study took us. Um, let's see what comes next here. Oh, yeah. I had no choice. I don't know Greek. I can probably name five Greek words total that I am familiar with and can pronounce. This is four of them. The other one isn't part of this study. That's another topic. But these four words, all Greek words, are all translated love in the English Bible. That's unfortunate. That is really unfortunate. Because especially to the man who has never before opened a Bible, has no idea the difference between New Testament or Old Testament, and for the first time in his life is hearing these clearly spoken instructions from the Lord to love. Love your neighbor, love your enemy, love the Lord. That's, that's foreign language. But it turned into an amazing study. I put those words on the whiteboard and explained that each one of them is interpreted love in the English Bible, but that each one of them has a very different name. Dan Morgan, would you turn the fans back on, please? They just quit, and I'm going to (laughs) melt. Thank you. (laughs) 
I don't care if anybody knows any more Greek than this. That's all that was critical in the moment to explain the difference between phileo, friendship, brotherly friendship, brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia's name comes from that. Eros, erotic, comes from that, having to do with sexual, physical attraction and expression. Storge is actually not found in the New Testament. Actually, Eros and Storge, neither one of them are found in the New Testament. They are found in the Greek Septuagint version of the Old Testament. And so we're really down to agape and phileo. And a quick explanation that agape, for me to have agape for you, means that I am reflecting back to you the love God has already shown me. And the light comes on. Finally or suddenly it makes sense. How did God love me? Well, amazingly. And God is not in love with me, but God loves me. And so Jesus is not saying, be in love with everybody you encounter. He is saying, want what's best for them and their well-being. And finally, a man who's been hurt horribly by an angry former spouse can get it. I can love her with that kind of love the way God instructed me to. Because it doesn't mean I have to restore the relationship. It doesn't mean I have to like her. But I do have to want what's best for her. And that that is a simple, amazing lesson that is probably not brand new to many of us. But it's a good reminder. It is brand new to many of the men that I sit with. And I am blessed beyond measure to be able to explain that and share it. Um, What did I put that up there for? Okay, next point. How do I live out that love for each other? Well, 1 John 4 is what we just read. 1 John chapter 2 is one of the other places where propitiation is found. The NIV says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. And then Matthew 22, 36 through 40 is where Jesus was asked by critical hypocritical Pharisees trying to trick him, they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And his answer was love. Simple, love. He didn't pick one of the Ten Commandments because that would have set him up for a, a difficult time. He picked, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And for the first time, some of these men heard that verse and actually started to understand what it meant. Because it's not emotional. It's not buddy-buddy pals. It's not even optional. It's an instruction. It's a command, both Old Testament and New Testament. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Thankfully, Jesus didn't stop there. He went on. One more verse. He said, and the second is like it. You, will, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I just am amazed at how that message takes on meaning for men who've either struggled with it forever or never heard it before. Because I'm reflecting back the love that God has already given to me. I'm not making up something new. I'm not trying to figure out what that looks like. I'm reflecting back what God has already done for me. So, look at Ephesians chapter 2, please. This is the famous passage about grace. You're saved by grace. Not of yourself, gift of God. That's amazing. That's powerful. Only this past week, when this was the topic of the In Touch magazine, did I realize the great importance of not starting with that verse, but going back to the beginning of that discussion. So, Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 10, listen please to the sequence that is being built as Paul leads to saved by grace. That's not the starting point, that's the end point of what he's saying. But, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that... For this reason, here comes the reason. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We had another momentary language hang up there because all of those older versions use the word predestined. And that's a tough word. It's a tough concept. Um, which God prepared in advance for us to do is easier to wrap my mind around than predestined. But we didn't hang up on that too long. But there were several questions came out of that. First one, what does predestined mean? We talked about that a little bit. Um, one man says, I don't understand. What is grace? And I realized that's not a simple question either. It, it requires some study and some discussion. But when I read it to him again and I said, got to the line that said, you've been saved by grace, through faith, it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Remember that first and foremost. It is a gift given to you by God for His purpose. And, and that, was, that satisfied that question for the moment. Another man asked, well, what does he mean, seated with Christ? 
I had never stopped to consider that passage, that sentence before. Seated with Christ. What does that, what did he mean? And the point became, because of his great love for us, God did that work, the, the sequence of Christ living and dying and raising, in order to seat us beside Christ. And I say, okay, imagine this. I'm sitting in jail with a bunch of guys accused of awful stuff. He has taken you and me and seated us beside Jesus Christ? What is that picture? That's grace. That's love we cannot fathom. How better, what, what better way could God demonstrate his love and his grace than to seat me beside his son. I don't, there's none. There's no more powerful picture I can come up with than God choosing to seat me in his glory beside his son. And that's grace. And that's love that is really hard to wrap our minds around. And so if we go back to that First John 4 passage real quickly. I can't read that clock, so I don't care what it says. <laughs> it's just a big glare back there. Um, the important thing is to hear the message that, it's, that God loving me is not something he's waiting to do. It's something that's already in place. And the only thing that's waiting is my response to him. He's already done his part. And that is made really clear in this First John chapter 4 passage. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice. That is... That is just that's the that's the gospel. Um, that's all there is. It's that's that is just the gospel. Forgot to change that slide. Um, that's what we've just looked at. So it is an amazing privilege to me of joy and amazement that I get to go in the jail and share those things. Um, I pray that the same message is impacting each of us the same way. The realization, acceptance, that my love for God is not waiting for Him to do something, but celebrating and acknowledging and passing on what He has already done for me. Thank you. Take that home and ponder on it. See how God's going to use you because you may not know yet either. All right. Um, looks like we're going to sing another song. <clears throat>